Here we are. Hey. Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, yes. Go, go, go. Go, 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 go. Yeah. Oh. You know what that sound is, Anthony? It's Freightonomics. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we have a guest. We do. Who are you? <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. Market expert brokers. What are y'all doing here today? Uh, We're doing Freightonomics, Donnie, and uh, I can't tell you how excited I am to have you here. It's first time. Yeah. Hopefully not the last. Now, why didn't you invite me uh, before? Hope we don't scare you off. I hope not. Uh, we, had, <laughs> we had to work some stuff out before. Yeah. We had uh, to make sure we were ready for the Don Don. All right, the I, Don Don. I need to sign a few things. That's yeah. wild. Yeah. The man, the myth, the legend, the Donnie. Yeah. So there has been a little bit of a shakeup recently in the freight industry. Donnie? The fuel cards? Fuel cards. Fuel cards have shut down. Yeah. Well, no. that's, that's not a big deal, is it, Donnie? No, if you want a quick way to shut down a fleet, <laughs> shut off their fuel cards. So this is massive. This isn't a fleet. This is several fleets right now. Their drivers are having issues fueling. And there's enough issues that happen in the freight industry that causes service issues. Uh, the fuel cards is one that a lot of people really don't even think about. Yeah. But here now, instead of your truck being delayed, this has a lot of service issues because your truck pulls up, he swipes his fuel card, and he can't fuel. Right. And, of course, normally they're pretty low on fuel. So they can't move. And with the way the ELDs are today, this can have a real big impact on what's happening with these trucks that are moving, especially if your load is time critical. Uh, if it's a expedited load, mm-hmm. uh, even um, loads, you know, such as produce or whatnot, it could cause a, um, a claims issue right. if they're too late. They may say, hey, we don't want these now. You're supposed to be in here, you know, yesterday morning. Now right. we can't get you till tomorrow. We don't even want it anymore. Right. So it's a very serious issue and it's going to cause a big disruption with the drivers. You're going to pull into a fuel station. You're going to swap your card. It's not going to work. And you may not know, of course, it's out on social media enough now, but, you know, you're going to call into their customer service. And we're going to talk, you know, there's probably a decent amount of hold time already. Yeah. Now it's going to be well over an hour probably that you're going to have to sit there and just wait on hold. Jeez. And if you can get through, now you got a guy, If let's say your fuel card is working just fine. Yeah. And you got five guys in front of you parked at a pump. Yeah. That's blocking because they're on hold for an hour. Right. This is going to hurt other people at stations that are trying to get through and get fuel as well. So a big disruption. Uh, a lot of patience is going to be needed. It's going to cause some service issues. I'm sure your big carriers are probably calling the large stations and like your pilot or flying J's and saying, hey, fuel my trucks. I'll pay you tomorrow. Let yeah. me send me the bill. Just fuel them. Let's go. Because if you're carrying uh, a load like FedEx or whatever, you don't have room to service fill those. Right. And their, um, their on-time delivery services are very, very high. Oh, yeah. FedEx is <laughs> – they don't mess around. No. <laughs> so a couple of these, because of a fueling issue, uh, it's going to really hurt those numbers really quick. And it's we- going to – do we know how big this fuel card is? Yeah, it's a fairly big fuel card. So I, yeah. the exact number of trucks that are on okay. there, I don't know. Uh, but it's going to cause quite a disruption. Yeah, EFS, I believe, is one of the largest in the country, are they not? <laughs> so, <laughs> I just didn't know if we had a specific number to give yeah. the people. But you're going to, you know, where it takes to maybe put, you know, 45 minutes to an hour to fill a truck up. You can be pushing that out now from almost one hour to three to four hours. And now with the hours of service, you were mentioning, you know, you only have so much time of on-duty time before you got to shut mm-hmm. down. And now if you're, I mean, and it has to be a consistent String, so they yeah. can't just say, "Well, well, I'm off duty for yeah until the fuel card works." Yes, yeah. yeah, you can't stop yeah. the clock. So yeah. here, um, you, you have what three hours of mm-hmm. uh, on duty, not driving. It's going to cut through all that, and it may short you fifty, hundred miles of driving time. So here, wow. were you expecting to get into your delivery? You may be short, and maybe the next day now. Yeah, and on that same note, so we had, uh, I mean, with the hours of service, I mean, this has been a, I mean, the ELDs and everything have really uh, kind of 
complicated things mm-hmm. uh, in terms of driver management, fleet management uh, here in the last couple of years because now people are forced to abide by these strict rules of timing and being on duty, off duty, driving, uh, et cetera. So they, they, once they start, they're on the clock. Yeah. There's no stopping for, you know, for any reason and they can't, uh, you know, manipulate their hours, uh, as they used to. So California, we just had a, a big call for rehearing. I think the ATA has jumped in on this. Uh, so basically they had, where they had ruled in the favor of employees or, you know, I guess you could call it in favor, but it's, I, I would argue that it's really not, yeah. uh, that if you are in California, in the sleeper, uh, in a truck, mm-hmm. you are not in control of your hours of service. So that's technically time that you should be paid for. <laughs> gotcha. So they ruled California on their own ruled this was, the, and they had, I mean, it was, you know, several, it was a class action lawsuit. <clears throat> it's been called back and saying like, they're saying like, okay, wait a minute. You can't do this. Yeah. This is already a weird industry to regulate intrastate. Uh, but interstate rules say that, you know, their hours of service on duty, off duty, it's very strict. Yeah. You're in control of your time <laughs> when yeah. you're off duty. Yeah. Whether or not you're sleeping in that truck or not, you're attending the truck by your own volition. So that's, it's, this is where things get real murky. Yeah. You know, I, I can see how you can make the argument saying like, you know what? I'm sleeping in this truck mm-hmm. by my own choice. Yeah. Cause I'm off. No, yeah. I mean, that's, that's not, but. But when you sign up for the job, you knew that. Yes. This is, this is, this is, but this is the argument. It's kind of like one of those things. And they're, they're trying to apply the law or the rules of an office worker, for mm-hmm. instance, mm-hmm. to somebody whose job is to be on the road traveling a long distance over time. And, um, you know, personally, I think that the federal regulations will have to preempt this, uh, because that's the whole reason they exist. It's because it is interstate commerce. It's yeah. not intrastate. Like, yeah, you can't, the rules don't just automatically turn on in California that this is the way that we, uh, view truck drivers. Yeah. And I agree with the back pay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if they wanted to make a rule or change the rule and say this date going forward, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I wouldn't exactly be open, but I'd be more <laughs> open to that than saying that you owe $54 million in back pay. Right. Uh, because like I say, this is a job they chose to do. They knew what they were getting into before they ever signed that paper. It is the industry. It's mm-hmm. an industry norm. Yeah. You know, and how do you argue and say, well, I was on my 36 hour break, but where was I at home? How do they know exactly? <laughs> yeah. It's, know? it's unenforceable really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it's, it's such a gray area of being like, well, now I'm working and now I'm not. That's why so, the ELD actually came into being is because it was very immeasurable. <laughs> exactly. And so now it's, um, California complicating more things once again. <laughs> the best state to operate in. And, and and real quick, guys, we are currently live. So I am watching the LinkedIn stream and the YouTube stream. So if you have any comments, questions, just want to voice an opinion, feel free to write in and we'll get to it. Oh, yeah. And we should have introduced the show, Anthony. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is this? Yeah, this is <laughs> yeah. I totally just I was so excited that Donnie was here. Yeah. I just wanted to. He jump has that right effect. In. Uh, but yeah, this is Freightonomics where we discuss freight and economics. Yeah. Put them together and everything in the middle. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, today we're going to focus on, we, we've started a new series, Anthony. What's, what's this series doing? For it's, you? it's really <laughs> <laughs> for those that might be newer to the industry, mm-hmm. really breaking it down. What, uh, specific industries or segments of the freight industry mm-hmm. are, um, at the very base level. And then also seeing how you can measure or benchmark some of those industries through economics. And so, 
Um, really seeing, hey, Zach, like last week, what's LTL? Right. What's truckload? <laughs> and so um, the, the idea is here to just kind of build that solid foundation and build on and get a little bit more intricate. Um, so I think they're great listens at any time of the year. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that from my perspective, when I was new to the business, I didn't know all these little random terms. I mean, you were very focused. I mean, Donnie probably can jump in and say the same thing. I mean, unless you just showed up and all of a sudden I just diesel i'm here yeah <laughs> uh but yeah we're gonna we're gonna break down uh you know the equipment types today yeah but uh i think we had a few little stories that we wanted to hit up first because right, they right. do relate to the freight market and trucking in general so we talked about you know a couple of uh big stories of the moment that should have i mean they could potentially have a pretty decent impact on the near-term freight market uh i don't think that i mean the california we've been following california ab5 ruling for a while now they love their regulations. They are. I mean, these lawmakers, once they get making laws, they just, <laughs> keep, addictive. they just keep going on. And I think it is an interesting topic, though, as we see some of these states, you know, they really, you know, California kind of operates like it's its own country anyway. Yeah. Uh, but the, the way that the federal and the uh, state level uh, kind of interact is fascinating, especially when it comes to the trucking industry. I mean, right. it's really important. I think anybody that's been in trucking or freight for any period of time or anybody that's been in just business in general knows that California is a different, you have to treat it almost like a separate country to operate out of in general. Yeah. So I, I thought that that was pretty relevant for today. And of course the fuel card thing was, that's going to be a <laughs> rates, rates in California for just your natural products are high enough anyways. Yeah. So this is just going to drive them up even more. You got people moving out of California because of the cost of living. Yeah. You keep adding regulations. Your little, can of Campbell soup's going to be seven dollars a can here soon. Yeah, and, and it'll not, be because of transportation costs, yeah, not because just, the actual thing costs money. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that's what's um, disappointing. It's like, are they shooting their own cells in the foot? Uh, they keep in and saying, hey, they're trying to make it cleaner, get trucks off the road because they don't like trucks on the road, and they may not realize that everything they move, touch, see is moved by a truck. I think there's just a big blind spot to what downstream impacts occur when they make some of these laws or upstream at, at, at that. They, they really kind of, you know, laws are there to, you know, encourage growth, encourage progress, you know, do the better by, you know, mankind, if you will, to make sure that we're, you know, not running rampant, shooting each other in the foot every day. But, um, you know, some of these laws, I think, are a little bit nearsighted in terms of one, what they're, they actually can be applied to, what their purpose is, and what they impact overall. I mean, anytime that you're making uh, rules for a game, you have to think, what's, what's your purpose for the, for the game itself? Yeah. You know, are you trying to make the game better? Or are you trying to make the game safer? Are you, you know, et cetera. But sometimes those rules can detract. And I, I think that that's lost. Uh, I think a lot of that gets lost in the administration of uh, some of these uh, state level governments. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you touched on, um, when you make a regulation, a lot of times the intended effect, you, you just can't use one movement, one regulation, one policy and expect that's going to be the only thing that it affects. And mm -hmm. we see this all the time with um, sometimes economic policies. There are so many unintended consequences um, that really kind of play out when you're like, oh, we need to raise people's wages. You know, do you raise minimum wages? What are the effects from that? I'm not, you know, saying. Yeah, you for, can actually decrease your employment level yeah. by raising the minimum wage. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's all these unintended consequences, uh, you know, that you're not letting the society or the system 
fix itself. Yeah. You're basically patching it for it. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, the argument between, you know, whether or not government should have more of a role or less of a role, et cetera. Like who knows better? Is that mm-hmm. some, uh, politician who has not ever smelled a diesel vehicle before? You're not trying to say that we have people that know nothing about trucking, yeah. trying to run trucking, are you, Zach? I, I mean, it, it happens, <laughs> it happens in trucking itself. So I mean, okay. <laughs> I've, I've, I've encountered numerous people. I, I, I think that's fair to say that in any business, you have people that, you know, have success in one area and they try to apply it to another. Sure. And they don't necessarily have a full understanding, which again, I don't know what I don't know either. I, I'm not going to go over to, uh, you know, Ruby Tuesday and start managing their kitchen, mm-hmm. even though I understand food. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think Anthony would either because he hates food. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't gotten to that part yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just amazes me though, because trucking is at such a level where anything that you touch on that is going, it's, since it's such a direct cost to any product that we have, mm-hmm. any regulation that drives up costs there, is it going to be a pass-through cost? Yeah. And it's not just in public carriers, it's in private right. carriers too. Exactly. So, so anything that, you know, up the, up, up your cost of moving a product is going to come down to the shelf price. Yeah, exactly. So. And speaking on regulations. Yeah. Tariffs. Yeah. So. <laughs> You know, there's, I, I found this an interesting read on yeah. Freightways.com. Uh, Greg Miller does a fantastic job of covering, uh, some of these things in the uh, international shipping markets, uh, American shipper, now part of Freightwaves. Uh, and, you know, it was an interesting take. And he basically was, you know, the point of the article is saying that our, uh, international trade policy, it, you know, we were, everybody's excited about the phase one deal. You know, we've been talking about it mm-hmm. a good bit. And, you know, of course the trade war has, Definitely had an impact to domestic freight movements. Right. Um, but he's, uh, you know, there, he was interviewing this guy or he was quoting this guy saying effectively that no, this is not by any means over with. And looking down the road, we, it, things may actually get worse, mm-hmm. uh, because European, uh, European, uh, trade policy is now on the table, uh, because we are using tariffs as leverage. Yeah. Effectively and negotiation tools. So, uh, all these, all these things are connected. And I, I mean, that's the point of our show yeah, <laughs> is, yeah. is we're trying to figure out just how, what impacts, how big of an impact does it have? You know, if you're Johnny Trucker going from, you know, Utah to Dallas every day, yeah. how does this, how does this impact you? And it's like the high level all the way down to the low. And this one's interesting because if we start, you know, celebrating this phase one deal and really the way that he stated it was that this was, really just a big agricultural buying, you know, and it's basically bringing us back to where we were a few years ago, mm-hmm. uh, with Prior a few, terms. yeah, with a few other little add ons and it, but it's, it's all contingent mm-hmm. on whether or not e- their economy does well, our economy does a certain thing, et cetera. And so we're just going to see some increased agricultural spending, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then the, the bigger picture here is that we're using tariffs as leverage mm-hmm. against everybody. Yeah. Really in negotiation. Yeah. So tariffs in general are thought of pretty negatively mm. uh, in the international trade uh, situation, both domestic and internationally. Uh, so we've seen what it does to the freight market in some regard. It actually wasn't that bad last year in terms of, you know, the port activities mm-hmm. and the, you know, everybody's pushing things forward, but that was a rea- a temporary reaction. Right. You know, the long term effect is we just saw this big wave of influx of imports and then it kind of fizzled out, which yeah. again, for freight markets, that's terrible. Like yeah. if we had had uh, any significant demand, you know, in the country, like we saw in 2017, 18, that big wave of activity would have destroyed rates domestically. Yeah. Yeah. Like we would have seen, you know, we were 
everybody was upset about 20% rate increases. Right. Probably could have seen as much as like 30 to 40% rate increases. Yeah. And then we'd have had a super big fall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, in 2019 versus just the, you know, I wouldn't call it a soft landing, but it wasn't yeah. a, it was still a pretty rude awakening. Right. Well, we, we were open on 2019 though to the pull forward. Yeah. And that's what saved a lot for 2019. Yep. So exactly. this year we can't do a pull forward. So we're going to get into that natural uh, cycle this year with the tariffs. Yeah, everything feels like it's kind of coming back to a normal rhythm for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I think we're still working on that supply side. Yeah. And you I know. think especially with the phase one tariff deal, um, like you said, we spoke about it a lot. Yeah. I think to really sum it up, it's almost like a, almost like an act of good faith. Like, yeah, we're <laughs> going to get there eventually guys we're working on something here and like you said it's going to be a huge on the on the agriculture side a little bit of a break for farmers they need it um (laughs) after they had the 2019 they had um but it's it's really not going to really move the needle on on from a production point too much yeah a lot of uncertainty still yeah i mean we're not seeing the big push of industrial production although we just had a positive sign yeah the pmi We'll get to some of that. Yeah, we'll get to some of that here in a bit. <laughs> a little teaser, yeah. I guess. Uh, but let's go ahead and get back, get into what we're, what our, our little purpose is for the last, next couple of weeks. Yeah, Zach. Um, sometimes when I'm on the freeway, <laughs> I see what I think is a freight truck. And sometimes I see a freight truck and it's hauling a trailer. I think you call this equipment. Equipment Just, types. Equipment trailer types. types. Yes, trailer types. Some, a freight truck, a freight, freight truck, truck. <laughs> Some, tax trailer. Sometimes it's pulling or hauling the big dog. <laughs> a freight truck, uh, a flat thingy, a flat thingy. Yeah. Flat. All right. Sometimes it's pulling like this huge thing. Two wheels, four wheels, eight wheels, eight wheels, eight wheels. Eight wheels. Wow. Yeah. Fury. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes there's like a refrigerated unit on one of those box thingies. So you're it's telling like, me there's different types of these. Do you know how many different types there are? I know there's three big main ones, and then I know that there's many types of those big main ones, and then there are specialties. As, but as let's many get... container types as you can think of. Yeah, <laughs> that's how many trailer types there are. Yeah. So the three main ones you're talking about: dry van, refrigerated, and mm-hmm. flatbed. And 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 what's the largest of those three? Uh, the largest. Yeah, like the most popular. Dry van. Dry van. Yeah. What's now, that, what's that break out? Now that's. Yes, dry van is the most popular in terms of large fleets mm-hmm. uh, and and whatnot. But there's actually a huge amount of flatbed out there now. Yeah. This is kind of invisible in terms of like larger carriers because you don't have as many larger carriers that are flatbed, mm-hmm. and that's because it's a very specialized, you know, piece of equipment. And like it, it basically, I should say, no, it's not specialized. It's very open. You can haul just about <laughs> anything you want on a flatbed. Yes, but. It's used for very specific types of freight. Mm-hmm. You know, you have your standard like Targets and Walmarts, your biggest shippers in the United States, mainly stick to that dry van, reefer, mm-hmm. uh, box type of uh, trailer type. Now, everything else you can haul. I mean, you can haul pretty much anything on a flatbed now, except yeah. for the refrigerated or, you know, some hazmat stuff like that. Uh, but a flatbed can haul just about anything you can think of because it's open. You can mm-hmm. load it easily. You don't have to have a dock. That's why we have multiple types of flatbed. Uh, Donnie, you were a broker. And did you, wh- which which type of freight equipment type would you rather quote? Flatbed, reefer, or dry van? Dry van is obviously the easiest. Okay. Uh, reefer, you can base that, you know, it's been a little while, but reefer, you can, you know, add 25, 30 cents a mile to what you thought with the dry van. Mm-hmm. 
uh, was. But flatbed's fairly tough. And the reason flatbed is tough is because uh, your capacity changes between springtime and summertime versus your wintertime. Because you will have van drivers mm-hmm. park their vans in the early spring and go get a flatbed mm-hmm. because of construction. Construction picks up a lot in the uh, springtime. But why would they do that? Why would they do that? Because <laughs> it pays about a dollar and a half more a mile. We know you're looking at, you know, uh, close to $3 a mile sometimes on all these flatbed loads. Right. And there's a lot of, you know, what we've been here about the last five years on the infrastructure of the, of the United States, mm-hmm. bridges, freeways, all that's going back under construction. So there's a lot of road construction, which is, you'll see a lot of, of uh, flatbeds housing. You'll see a lot of flatbeds. Um, you know, there's a lot of industry that runs on flatbeds, but the, the, the peak season is basically the, the warm weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, so to break it down for you, Anthony, please, as we, we deal mainly in the contracted freight market here, yeah. uh, some of the spot, uh, is obviously a direct, you know, it falls out from that. But uh, roughly 70% of the contracted freight market is dry van. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have 13%, which is reefer. Yeah. And then flatbed fills in about 6%. Now, that does not add up to 100. <laughs> Zach, what about those trailers that haul gas? Yes, the, the tankers. Yeah. Uh, and then you also have uh, containers. Mm-hmm. So those those intermodal containers and whatnot, uh, those make up intermodal. Yeah, intermodal. That means that it can move between modes. Oh. Technically, I took Latin. Fancy. So, and yeah. the, the dry bulk. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah. a, that's a very specialized. Yeah, dry bulk, tanker. I kind of lump those two together. They, they feel like they're very similar. But uh, the pipe at the bottom gets me every time, so <laughs> I can't do it. You know, I think corn yeah. and gasoline are not, you know, consumption and I burn. I don't know. Can't do it. Well, a quick reminder for those of you that just might be tuning in, we're live. So um, get those questions or comments in on LinkedIn or YouTube. But yeah, there. let's get back to it. And yeah. Anthony, on, on flatbed, you got your regular flat 53 foot. You got drop deck, dribble mm-hmm. drop, double drop. You've got a lot of different types of flatbeds. Oh, we're going to break down some flatbed tracks oh, yeah. here in a minute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, low boy, which you haul your big yes. excavators on. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's uh, it gets into very, very specialized as well. Uh, a friend of mine's dad does um, over the over, long haul over the road, but he only does uh, oversized. So the three hundred thousand pound boiler, right. that's him. Yeah, that's that special heavy haul stuff. Heavy haul. That's the, the word I was looking yeah, for. Yeah, there you go. So to put it into perspective, in terms of what we've seen in some, you know, just the market in general. So mm-hmm. we track orders mm-hmm. of vans and reefer and flatbed trailers. Um, van orders last year about one hundred fourteen thousand. Okay. Uh, reefer about twenty four point seven thousand. Okay. Twenty four thousand seven hundred. <laughs> okay. Uh, so that just shows you like you how know popular the disparity yeah. between those two modes. Now, guess what? How much that was off from twenty eighteen? How much, Zach? <laughs> so it was it was cut in half. Yeah. And then a little bit further. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't stop there. So 261,000 dry van trailer orders in 2018 compared really? to 114,000 this year, this past year. So significant amount. Yeah. And 69,000 reefer trailer orders versus 24.7. This gotcha. year. So it's, we're, we're obviously in a contractionary. People are not investing as much as they were. Yeah. Uh, but you can, you can stretch that investment though. So trailers, um, I believe their, their life cycles, due to all the newer technology that we're putting on trailers, the, the ABS, all the, the new features, has shortened the trailer life to, I think, uh, I was talking with Greg about an eight-year mm-hmm. um, turnover rate. 
You can stretch that about a year though. When when things oh when we things we were running up. we were running fifteen to sixteen year old trailers. But, but those are the older, <laughs> yeah those are the older drive ins. But those are they're starting to swap those out a little bit yeah. earlier now as well. But yes, yeah, so if you if there's one area that a company can really get in and tighten down spending on, they can push their trailers one or two more years. Oh for sure. And of course save several several thousand dollars. Uh, trucks they can as well, but once you start breaking that year number three you're going to see the maintenance expenses really pick up on the trucks a lot more than you would see on a trailer. Right. Now, you can haul now the different types of freight on these on these things. So, on a on a dry van trailer, you can carry what roughly 42 to 45,000. I think some people have even stated they could haul over 50,000 somehow nah. on a trailer, which I was like, well, are are you sure that that's the best, <laughs> the best that I've ever done is forty-seven-five, but mm-hmm. that was using a day cab as the uh, oh yeah as the truck. The total weight can't so once exceed. Yeah, once you're getting close to that forty-five mark, you got to watch out which type of truck, or you got the Freightliner, the Volvo, right? The, yeah, full tanks, half tanks. Uh, so I would say about forty-five is really pushing it. Yeah, um, on the limits for that and reefer is going to be handicapped a little bit because they have about already 42 to 43 yeah they already um, have a few uh all that additional equipment in the mm-hmm. insulated trailer it's going to keep you know it's going to put some extra pounds on there uh, cool when you need on the front gas yeah. tank on the bottom yeah and now flatbed you can get a lot more weight uh <laughs> flatbed you can push the uh uh 47 48 49 yep. so they don't um, have the all the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, a flatbed in Michigan, I think, goes by the axle. Yeah. No, uh, I think I, th- I thought that was in uh, most states. You could you well, could drop some. You could throw some axles on there and some. <laughs> but in Michigan, it's where you see the flatbed, but you can't see under it because there's nine different sets of axles under it. And and now explain why why the axle matters. The, the they it's the the weight they're pushing actually on the road for the road for the wear and tear on the road. Yeah. But so I you put you an axle so you you can you can add more weight. Yeah. So yeah. You, as you get up in the weight, you put another axle on there to divide it out. Yeah. Yes. Because it's not because I mean think about how a road gets wear and tear, Anthony. It's it's all that weight in one spot. Now, yeah. If you're if you're jumping down and you hit the ground with one leg, mm-hmm. all your force is going focused into that spot. Yeah. When you put your second leg down. Your weight's more evenly distributed. It's not mm-hmm. putting as much pressure, not as much wear and tear damage. Makes that's, sense. That's why you add the axles. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but anyways, the 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 average or the average is eighty thousand pounds. Twelve thirty four thirty four. Don't break that. You'll be good. Yeah. Uh, and the steel haulers in Michigan can do whatever they want. <laughs> well, that's a good that's a good point. So, Anthony, have you do you feel like you're learning? Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I want to know more about flatbed. That's so, a good thing. <laughs> flatbed seems like it can be exposed to a few different industries, primarily on the consumer facing side, construction on the industrial side, machinery and things like that. I'm curious about sometimes when I'm dar- driving down the street, Zach, mm-hmm. Donnie, I see what I think is a flatbed, but there are these walls around it and they're not solid. What is that? There's two different types. There's for one, there's a flatbed, just exactly what you said, a flatbed mm-hmm. with walls, mm-hmm. and it's just like you see on your pickup truck where they put the little piece of wood and the side piece yeah. on there, and it, ha- it might have a little bit of a, um, a little tarp thing that goes over. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, a lot of those guys will actually haul produce with their flatbed in mm-hmm. the uh, in the spring and summertime if they're okay. going shorter distances, and then there's the Conestoga. 
That's almost like a flatbed. That I love the name sale. Conestoga. Yeah, you know, you know where that comes from, right? Where does that come from? So the traditional Conestoga was the wagon in the 1800s, mm, like an Oregon Trail, a covered wagon from Oregon Trail. Yeah, it's exact. I'm glad that you know what Oregon Trail is. Of you're, course, you're, I do. You're millennial and you know this <laughs> stuff. And it makes me feel good. Oh yeah, played in a computer class. <laughs> there we go. Oh, no, <laughs> that's solid. So therefore, you can take. And it's uh, basically, it's a flatbed mm -hmm. and it has uh, almost like a metal structure that has a tarping on the side and top yeah. to look like a drive-in, but you can open up all these tarps and lo load and unload as if it were a flatbed. And it's protected so, from the elements. And, and, it, and it protects it from a lot of the elements. Not all, but yeah, most of your elements mm -hmm. are it's protected from. So it makes it easier to load and unload. But in this case, they wouldn't need the walls. You wouldn't be strapping anything to the wall. So it's strapped down to a regular flatbed yeah. and then cover it. Gotcha. Now, yeah. And now, uh, interesting, I mean, just to your point, like, so flatbed is obviously out there in the open. Um, so it is exposed to the elements. Yeah. Well, that means that you have to cover most of your freight. <laughs> and so there's tar there's a tarping element to the flatbed uh, situation. So depending on what you're hauling, yours, I mean, and how much it can be exposed to the elements, you need to uh, tarp your, your stuff. And they can, they have different tarps and they're heavy and... So sometimes you got to have somebody with like a heister. They got to throw the tarp on there to get it started. But then the, the drivers a lot of times have to get out there and, and move this stuff. So yeah. your flatbed driver is going to be a lot more, I guess, physically. <laughs> it's going to be more physically demanding to the driver yeah. of the flatbed versus the drive in and reefer more than more often than not. Gotcha. What about the what about the guys in Minnesota right now? Yeah, it's <laughs> uh, it can get very cold. Yeah. So you got to be careful of frostbite, whether it be your hands, mm -hmm. face, or whatnot. Uh, and so, yes, they're up there. They're, they're even not even just tarping, but strapping these loads down in the wintertime. Mm -hmm. It's why a lot of people don't want to run flatbed because there's a lot more physical work as uh, versus a drive-in. Yeah. A lot of your drive-in freight, you back up to a dock door. You yeah. open the doors, you back up to the dock door. Yeah. You never they have to it. go. They won't even let you see it. Mm -hmm. They shut the doors, yeah. and then you take off and you go. This, when they put the load on your flatbed, you're responsible for strapping it down. Mm -hmm. And you're the liability. So you'll see... Uh, you'll see a lot of arguments, you know, do you straps or chains? Okay. And depending on what you're hauling and how much it weighs, you might have a lot of chains on there, but you don't realize that big round cool of metal. Yeah. Uh, you should probably use eight or 10 chains, not three. Yeah. And it looks like you got it, but yeah. you don't know, realize how heavy some of those, those, some of those things push 40,000 pounds. Gotcha. And yes, it might be fine, but it's when you slam on the brakes, when you swerve, that's when, uh, the safety issues come into play. Gotcha. And so Donnie, you mentioned something. Uh, I think Michigan, cold there, right? Can be. So the reefer, the refrigerated trailer types, mm -hmm. they're used to keep usually like, you know, things like produce and temperature controlled environments. A lot of times people think about that in, in the warmer months, but this is also true in the colder months, right? Yes. Uh, so, uh, like your, uh, air conditioning at your house, mm -hmm. the, um, what they call the, we need some of that air conditioning in here. <laughs> yeah, some of that air in here. So they act as like, as like a pump. Nowadays, the new reefers can also either maintain a temperature or yeah. slightly heat a little bit. And this is used during times, such as the winter time when you have also protect from freeze. Mm -hmm. So you have areas, uh, let's say, let's use Minneapolis, Minnesota when it got down to negative 10. Yeah. You might have products like either your uh, Gatorade, your Colas, uh, even industrial products like your paint. Uh, not necessarily probably paint thinner, but there are a lot of products that can freeze and maybe like your uh, tide or bleach, maybe burst the plastic containers. So it's important to keep those above a certain temperature. 
And so you can now use these reefers to keep number one, the air blowing and, you know, use their own heat to kind of insulate them. Yeah. But also you can turn it on and set it at 40 degrees mm -hmm. even, and it'll hold it at that 40 degree mark. Gotcha. So that's going to increase, uh, during the winter months, um, Shorter runs, you can probably get away with a dry van, okay. but if you if you mess up, if it gets delayed or whatnot, it is your claim that you're paying. Right. And now you're looking at, you know, you're risking what could be two or three hundred dollars versus dry van or a reefer, and you got a forty thousand dollar claim. Gotcha. So I've um, I've been through that of those issues before. Yeah. And I've given up now, and I go straight to the reefer and just do not worry about it. If it's you know two hundred miles, five hundred miles, hundred fifty miles. I play it safe now because I've been through too many and seen too many claims. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it's important to note that for the reefer uh, carriers, they're, they're held to relatively strict adherence to, you know, how they keep the product because they're trying to keep a lot of that food has to be at, it cannot go above a certain temperature for a period of time. They'll get fined or it'll get refused and they're liable for it. Now, uh, because they go back to the shippers, you know, I was at this, uh, at the confectioner convention this last year. And it was interesting to hear some of their, uh, you know, some of their larger complaints were over this, you know, compliance issue on the re on the carrier side. Now, if there was damage or claims or spoilage to uh, any extent, or maybe they were short or light individual items, they were fined uh, by the retailer. So a lot of these shippers are out there saying, well, if the retailer gives me any grief, I'm going to pass it along to you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it is it is. I think uh, interesting to note that in the winter you have to keep it. It can't freeze yeah. just like it can't get hot. So there won't be people out there saying like, well, my chocolate tastes weird because it's been <laughs> frozen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you won't care because you don't, you don't even know what chocolate you know, is. Do you? Who even eats chocolate like that? Bro? You <laughs> eat chocolate and something else. Yeah. yeah. And that transfers back into cost too. Yeah. Uh, so if you ratios. Run, yeah. Mm -hmm. If you, if you, and that plus, if you got to run the reefer, you're burning fuel. Uh -huh. uh, but now these newer reefers are a lot more efficient with either, with fuel and insulation than where we were at 10 years ago. Uh, so we've come a long way with that and uh, they're, product. They're more expensive, too. They are, they are <laughs> a lot more expensive. Yeah, the reefer trailers are, what, about three to five times more expensive than a dry van? They are, and you can't haul near as much. But you know what you can do with a reefer trailer, Anthony? What's that? You can cut the reefer off. <laughs> and in some areas... You can use them as a drive-in. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But a reefer is a little bit different. So yeah. they're uh, because of the insulation, you may not have the width. Uh, they have super savers now on the mm -hmm. reefers, which are a lot, uh, a little bit wider because they're not the full insulation. Yeah. But they also weigh about 2,500 to 3,000 pounds more uh, than your drive-ins. Gotcha. So you can't load. But you can always call your shippers and say, hey, I'm a reefer. Can you load a reefer? Mm -hmm. And if it's a 38,000-pound load and the pallets aren't as wide, the full width, yeah. then there's not a problem there. So you'll have a lot of your carriers right now. They may be running up in the northeast and getting the high dollar for running their freight up in the northeast. Yeah. But reefer right now is, is hurting in the northeast. Uh, so they might be swapping over to drive-in trying to get their loads out of the northeast. Gotcha. Yeah, the the reefer market itself is a lot more volatile. Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, it's thirteen percent of the contracted freight market. So what that means is, if you if you think about just the sheer volume, like if you were just to have a, a jar of M and M's and you had the map of the United States, gross, but continue, <laughs> and you would dump. Here's the dry van jar, mm -hmm. and the reefer is sort of like this small little, you know. Uh, what do you, I can't even think of a smaller a smaller cup, <laughs> more like a, a shot glass, a three ounce cup, and you've got a tw you know a sixteen ounce 
glass yeah. full of dry van. Yeah. You dump this little cup down on the map and let it spread out. Mm-hmm. It's not going to cover that much. Yeah. So you dump the big one out. It's going to cover just about everything. Yeah. And that's that's effectively. So you're saying I'm going to go to Utah. I'm going to have a pretty good chance of finding a van carrier. Yeah. Go to Utah. It's like a one in ten chance of finding a reefer carrier. So because of that, you get a lot of imbalance. Gotcha. So it's a lot more imbalanced. You have a lot more volatility in the rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people, and again, since it is a seasonal item, uh, it will go up and down. And like Donnie said, you can haul drive and freight on a reefer trailer. Yeah. Actually, sometimes it's good. Like the reefers, you know, since they are double padded, insulated, mm-hmm. sturdier trailer walls, mm-hmm. a lot of freight actually does go on reefer trailers that doesn't need temperature control. Gotcha. It just needs something a lot more sturdy stable. Yeah. and stable. And another thing is that reefer carriers will actually compete and drive down rates and drive and markets because gotcha. they're trying to get back to the produce or mm-hmm. the, you know, the whatever, markets. whatever the materials are that need the reefer. Yeah. So their backhaul rates are a lot lower because they're making a lot more on the headhaul. Gotcha. Yeah, they, they made their money on the way out. So yeah. they're, they're not going to deadhead. So it's important to know the relationship between reefer and drive-in because mm-hmm. they, they do impact each other quite significantly. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, Donnie, I'm, I'm curious. When you were brokering, were there any for, like, you know, reefers, were there any res- any resistance for uh, potential loads like seafood or stuff like that? Yes. Uh, you have certain different loads, uh, let's say potatoes sometimes, mm-hmm. that you might bulk load. Mm-hmm. And that can be a, a, a mess or if something might leave an odor in your trailer. Mm-hmm. That's a really big deal because your next shipper may not load your trailer if it's food grade because they do not want an odor. And I've seen them refuse a trailer because of his previous load might have had seafood or something that smelled a little bit funny. Mm-hmm. And he got there and maybe, you know, sometimes when just a trailer warms up a little bit in between loads, if you shut it off, it might help with a little bit of an odor. And that caused their next load to be canceled because they don't want that. So that makes them very, very particular on what they will haul. Gotcha. Uh, they don't want to mess. They don't want to sit there and have to go and clean out for two hours before mm-hmm. the next ah. load. They want it palletized, easy, no odor, 32 degrees, 40 yeah. degrees, and no touch. Yeah, gotcha. and so that limits the available freight. Yeah. Um, but also, to that same point, you have contamination uh, that can happen. So if you're hauling food, you know, hauling heads of lettuce, you can't let that food have the potential contamination. I mean, you've heard about the E. coli outbreaks from some of the lettuce. They yeah. don't They don't know if it comes. I mean, they typically can trace it back to a farm eventually, mm-hmm. but they have to cancel the entire date range because it takes them too long to find it. By the time they figure it out, it'll go bad anyway. Yeah. But they don't know. It could actually have happened on a trailer. Right. Uh, but so they're very particular. Like you can't haul hazmat stuff, for instance, on the same trailer that's hauling produce. Gotcha. Open produce. Gotcha. So you, there's a few th- rules there that you, uh, you know, they're unwritten, but, you know, you can get liable for. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about it from an economic standpoint for, you know, say you're a carrier and you mostly run, uh, you know, reefers. And that's what mainly your fleet consists of. One of the areas that I like to look at on the macroeconomic side is industrial production. And not just industrial production. I like industrial production because it's government issued data. And one thing the government likes to do is track everything, all the <laughs> things. And so they do that very well. And one of the, thing, one of the things they do with industrial production is they break it down in many different um, segments. And one of the segments is non-manufactured goods, non 
durable goods. Usually uh, non-durable goods are going to consist of things that have a shelf life of three years or less or less than three years. Um, well, I mean, uh, lettuce goes bad faster than three years. It does. It does. So, <laughs> so it's going to be in that non-durable category. And the biggest segment of that for industrial production is going to be industrial production of food, beverage, and tobacco products. And I think that's a good uh, indicator to watch for for reefer. And it uh, has been going up lately, has it not? It has been going pretty up. It's been pretty strong, especially compared to the manufacturing seg- yeah. segment, uh, the machinery components. Wah, wah. <laughs> not doing too hot. Uh, yeah. But unless you, you know, the, the PMI, it popped up. So a lot of people oh, are yeah. positive about that. Talk about the PMI this week. That's, okay. a, that's a pretty big story for the, right. the macro economist. Let's talk about it. Let's talk economist. about it. Yeah. Economist. Um, I think economist. I made a... I think I made a nice syllable. Syllable <laughs> <laughs> out of that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the the PMI it, it jumped up to, I think it was fifty point nine, fifty point eight. Yeah, so it's over fifty. Yeah, which again for everybody that doesn't know, the PMI measures uh, it's by the Institute of Supply Chain Management mm-hmm. measures manufacturing activity in the United States. Supply chain managers uh, across the country, over three hundred uh, industries mm-hmm. or uh, businesses represented. Uh, and they respond positive or negative yeah. to a list of questions. And when the value of the index is above 50. Expansion. Expansion. Mm-hmm. Below 50, which is where it's been since, what, July? Contraction. Yeah, it was five months. So, yeah, probably around that July mark. Yeah. yeah. July. So, I mean, in the industrial side, fuels, trucking. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're a goods and services or a services or service-driven economy, consumption-driven, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of retail. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still eat food. Yeah. Uh, but we all trucking also derives a lot of its value from that manufacturing segment. Right. So this is a pretty big jump up, though. It's a pretty big jump up. And um, so one of the things I think last week I was like, you know, we might have a jump here or there, but I don't think it's going to be sustainable. I don't think this jump is sustainable. Also, this was the first uh, issuing for the PMI after it went it through its uh, seasonal adjustment, historical revision and all that good stuff. Um, but one of the things that we did see, so as you mentioned earlier, it's a survey that goes out mm-hmm. and to, um, executives around the, around the country, um, they have respondents. And so that they, they talk about things that they're seeing on their side in the trenches, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, they continue to cite sli- uh, signs of slowdown within manufacturing. Um, and that really kind of echoed more uncertainties around the, the tariff environment, um, even though we just had our phase one deal with China. Um, and, and so it really kind of speaks to some of those things. Um, the other aspect of the PMI is that there's components. There's a production, there's new orders, shipments, it's all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all those things really kind of are indicative of freight, um, because it goes from new orders, um, and then it goes into production and then those productions go into shipments and then there's backlogs. If you don't have anything, new orders coming in, you work through your backlogs and then kind of those things get produced. And so all those, even when you put in a new order, the raw materials are going to need to go by freight. And then when those things get produced, right. those, when those things get shipped, they move by freight. And so it all really ties together with transportation. Um, so with the PMI, typically it's a forward looking indicator. Right. So when we're looking at the PMI, it's, and I, I, industrial production by the government's a little, it's in, it's a lagging, correct? It's, 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 it's kind of lagging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially because of measuring well, what has been. Yeah. The, the, the day it gets released usually. Right. Okay. So the latest, uh, industrial production numbers we have is through, 
I think December as mm-hmm. of now, and we're in February. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, not doing us a lot of good right now, mm-hmm. except for confirming trends that we sure. thought, you know, and those yeah. kind of things and, and kind of pinpointing where it's coming from. But when we're looking at the PMI, uh, it, it does lead industrial production. It, it travels pretty closely, mm-hmm. but I don't really see this as being, um, a sustainable rise. I would be shocked if it continues to be above 50. Yeah. Um, but with that, I think if it were to sustain, I think that would really have a lot of good implications for freight when we start getting into that March, April timeframe. Mm-hmm. Now, March, April is kind of when I expect that would be a little bit early for my expectations for the manufacturing side segment of the industrial economy to mm-hmm. pick up. Right. I think a little bit later, maybe around May, June, I think that's when we we'll start to see that rise. So it would be mm-hmm. about a month or two early. Okay. And but there's a lag on this data, so we're not going to know that till August, September. No, the PMI won't be lagged. The PMI won't be lagged, but but the industrial production will be lagged. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think once we'll start to see its consistent rise in the PMI, I think mm-hmm. we'll see more volume. And, it's, and, it's, I mean, it's it went about as low as it's been in, in several years yeah. this past uh, December. Yeah, correct, correct. Forty six point two, I believe mm-hmm. it was. Uh, so that's you know, and that's. That's the section of the economy that's been struggling. The things that drove that robust 2017, 2018 freight market yeah. were a recovery in the industrial sector. Yeah. Because uh, we saw a similar trend line going into 2016, 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of global uh, e- global weakness. Oil markets collapsed. Yeah. Um, we're, we don't have that same situation, that same setup this time. The oil, oil prices are going down, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, surprisingly, somewhat contradictory to many predictions. Uh, but especially with that Corona thing going around. Huh? Yeah. The Corona beer virus. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> running all over the place. Yeah. But I, I think we should, you know, I wasn't planning on talking about it, but mm-hmm. we should actually mention the coronavirus because this yeah, is yeah. very economic. Uh, and also, you know, I did just write an article about it. <laughs> so that means Do that tell. I, so, between that and the Lunar New Year. Yeah. So here we have. The what only two two week break they already take. Mm-hmm. Yep, and now they've also shut their factories down for an extended period of time as well. So here we have a lot of manufacturing out of China that normally boosts up our economy either before or after because of that three week delay, which mm-hmm. you know ships are loaded early or all the freight gathers up and shipped out later. Bunches up, everything's shut down. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so the coronavirus, which is in the Hubei province. Not the Wuhan province. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, everybody talks about that. I think they're they're. They throw that. I made the mistake too because I took somebody's word for it. And I was looking at a map, and I was like, "Wuhan is the city in yes. Hubei. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hubei is the province itself. So it's you know it started in Wuhan or in there abouts in December. The coronavirus did, and it's expanded. You know, you know what is it now? We're over twenty thousand infected, thirteen hundred dead. Or am I mm-hmm. expanding that too much? I think can't I remember. Right. But uh, anyway, it's long term impact is that when people shut down for Chinese New Year. Uh, they went home, like they leave the factory. Some of them take this time to transition jobs, go to different factories, et cetera, but they go visit family for a few weeks. Uh, and a lot of them travel to Hubei <laughs> outside, you know, away from the coasts, they go inland, but now since they've been in infected regions, they can't come back. The, you know, a handful here and there, it's not a huge deal, but the fact is, is that the more, this is during a time of transition and travel and they're trying to contain everything. So they're basically like, you can't travel anymore. Mm-hmm. Everything's disrupted. It's shutting down factories. People can't rely on tra- transportation consistently anymore. It's massive disruption. 
as the Chinese econ- economy has these fluctuations, so do we. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what that's going to mean, and it's not going to be apparent for another four to six weeks. Yeah. Uh, you know, we shouldn't see the, you know, the full on brunt of it for that. But again, the virus is still spreading. Um, 20,527 20, deaths. Okay. Mm-hmm. There we go. Thank you. And, and so the, appreciate uh, Jonathan. Yes. Um, so, you know, this is just one more unexpected headwind to the freight market in 2020. Yeah. So it's going to impact the demand side. You're not going to see as many imports. Uh, we're already in a contraction, uh, with import volumes because of the trade war impact and stuff like that. People have already pulled forward, but, uh, we did see an, in a uh, surge of custom shipments, uh, right before Chinese New Year, specifically in the port of New York, New Jersey, mm-hmm. uh, our customs data track that we track every day, uh, came in and hot and heavy right before, uh, but we don't normally see those ships, uh, you know, really have that decline until like four to six weeks later and on the East Coast. Gotcha. Versus probably two to three weeks on the West Coast. And we saw some of that freight pile up on the West Coast, mm-hmm. but, Again, compared to last year, it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. just, it's, it's, it's a fraction. And I, I still wonder about the fear that people are, are they going to be willing to buy, are they, are they going to buy products where they see on the box from China right now? Because they don't know exactly how all it does spread. They know it's partly respiratory, but there's also a lot of people that just, they're, they're going to walk away too as well. Well, SARS was a coronavirus, if yes. you will. Uh, so the coronavirus is a type of a family of viruses. Uh, and so the mirrors, yeah. And they, uh, they, yes. And they, uh, you know, it transfers through animals. So it actually can jump species, which yes. is why it's, it's so scary because it's the human body doesn't have the resistance to yeah. it. So like the, cor- the, the Corona is, um, it spreads easier, mm-hmm. but it's not as deadly as the other two. So, so far, now so that's far. something JP and I discussed on our, on the spot the other day yeah. as he corrected, he, uh, he was like, because it's so early on in the virus, they just don't, you know, it takes a while to collect the data on the death toll and the death rates because it takes a while for you Was to it die. Actually, this, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's a few things going on in China. I think there's also like a swine uh, flu going on over there. Well, yeah, they they lost like, that's why they, one of the reasons they want our deal done is because yeah. they need our pork. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, um, thousands of uh, pigs were infected with a, with a swine virus. Mm-hmm. And they are the number one consumer of American pork. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... They love their pork. Mm-hmm. Not as much as, I mean, you don't like it. We're putting I'm this sure. together. It's overrated. The, yeah. corona, <laughs> the corona came from the pig. Yeah, and Anthony doesn't like bacon. so It's just overrated. Take it or leave it. You know? I'll yeah. take it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we've had a lot of activity. I mean, the freight market itself right now, just to give a quick update, is essentially still in a contractionary period. Mm-hmm. We're in February. It's the first week of February. Don't expect too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, some years it's just what it is. Yeah. Uh, we're year over year flat in terms of volumes. Uh, the reefer side has started to flatten out a little bit more, which was actually pulling up a lot of volume here in January. Uh, the dry van side is down, but it's not falling as fast as it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we've only fallen a few, like maybe not even a percent week over week. Uh, reefer has fallen a little bit more than that week over week, but it is more volatile in general. So we sort of expect that rejection rates, uh, again, reefer falling faster than van at this point. Uh, van is down around 5.1%, Donnie. It's, yeah, it's yeah. Five. Uh, which again is still higher than late October. So we're still not fully recovered from our seasonal peaks. So we're basically, we're putting our spot market rates right around your contracted rates. 
Yeah, I mean, kind it's, of what we've fallen into. So you're not, you know, it's not big money, but you should be out there operating and covering your cost right now. You should you should be able to break even in this market. Uh, we do expect it to continue to fall throughout February, though, until we typically see some action late February. Whether or not the coronavirus and all that has an impact this year was yet to be seen, but it looks like, you know, that demand, that, I mean, that's a, there's a huge demand segment there that we're really got a question mark on right now at the late of this month. Cause normally, uh, you see the market recover. Now, last year was a bit of an anomaly in this way. Now, you think, when you, when you think of late February, you think of imports, right? And your container freight. Imports and, uh, some spring. You normally see people fall out a little bit. I'm, you know, I'm produce. You know, I think yeah. into February, I think produce. I think South America <laughs> coming into Miami. Well, when's Florida's produce season? May? Well, not, April, not Florida. May? These are the imports that are be coming from the southern. Oh, Chile. Uh, Chile yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. South America. Those will start coming in mm-hmm. uh, through container ships or uh, air freight. They'll start coming in late, late February. And then as we get into March, you'll start seeing the produce come out through uh, Mexico. Yeah. Into uh, Laredo's. The number Laredo. Yeah. For uh, import city from that. So that's what I see when I see yeah. springtime coming. But you, you're talking about the uh, the influx of uh, probably the, well, the ships from after the Lunar New Year. It's it's basically where everybody starts to get a little. You know, it's the end of the third quarter. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I had a lot of exposure to the uh, you know the floor covering, you know, housing, mm-hmm. uh, construction, mm-hmm. that type of market furniture. That's what I think of. Yeah, March is like the first time that people are like, hey. Let's do some reno. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Let's yeah. get some. Get out of the house, start moving around. Get out of the money. house. You get that first 70 degree day. I mean, maybe in Chicago, it's just like not snowing all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, New patio furniture, long, yeah. long I mean, it's, you get We're the still days, getting snow in Boston. Yeah. In New Hampshire. <laughs> the days, yeah. The days get longer uh, yeah. and, you know, whatnot. But yeah, I, I mean, February is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is, I mean, I think the good news here, the good takeaway is that we are flat year over year. Okay. It's not, we have stopped contracting. When's the turnaround? Uh, when do you think the big turnaround is? You know, I was saying that we would see it in the mid to late spring. Um, I think we're, we would start. But again, this coronavirus thing kind of throws a little, and I thought IMO would have an impact too, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. hasn't done anything. It's mm-hmm. gone the opposite direction. So uh, it's really up to the supply side. <laughs> you know, yeah. which if you're not, you know, struggling at this point, like things are going all right for you. Yeah. Like if you can keep your utilization up, which I don't looking at all those earnings calls and everything, people aren't, especially the big guys aren't doing, they're not doing great. And this is what I notice is that what we see is a lot faster than what they feel because they are operating on accounting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So they can, they have accruals and things like that that kind of lag and they kind of build and then they kind of fall and mm-hmm. they build and they fall. And so they don't really see a lot of this because again, you have your payables and receivables. Uh, one's going out faster than the other. Uh, so the lining up of everything kind of happens on this untimely wave, this mm-hmm. cycle. So it's you, not. You think that's how we see all these companies all of a sudden just shut their doors? What do you mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. They because use, they utilize float all the time, especially the, when they become. They realize yeah. that they can't pay for the fuel that day and it's like, we're done. No. And fuel is a big deal, especially when it spikes like that. Yeah. yeah. So we've only got a few more minutes left, Anthony. Do yeah. we have something that you want to get off your chest today? Uh, a hot you take. Want, that you want me to just tell you, stop. Let's see. Um, this might ruffle a few feathers. Uh, remember no food, no food. I think pandas should be allowed to go extinct. Oh my gosh. So thanks everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's kind of we, 
We had to get now. What in the world? I'm going to let you explain <laughs> yourself. You've got about okay. a minute to okay. explain yourself. All right. So pandas are cute, adorable, all that good stuff. Amazing. They eat bamboo, which is the they toughest thing that you can. If you have, if you've experienced bamboo, mm-hmm. I have you, bamboo plates. Yeah, you cannot kill it. <laughs> well, the thing is, about I don't think pandas want to be here. They had they they reproduce very slowly, right? And then they're putting all this money into conservation efforts to save the pandas. They have usually have twins, right? Then they they pick one to die, one and then you got to trick them to feed them both, and then it's like this whole process for the species that doesn't want to be here. It wouldn't survive on its own in in, in the wild. It doesn't have a place in the ecosystem. It but did survive on its own. What happens if it you know goes? What showed up like always and wrecked everything was humans. But what would happen <laughs> if we just let the pandas ex- go extinct? We'd probably save a lot more money and be able to put that money towards another species that might be more impactful to the ecosystem. That's not no, as cute. No, no, no. Because you're you're making an argument against what you're saying, and that's saying like natural selection should let the panda just go. And so if the we're panda tr- doesn't want to be here, but you know what? That's an industry. Keeping the panda alive. Somebody's employed keeping pandas alive. We're we're, yeah. we're investing in that specific segment. It gives somebody something to do. We invest in it because the panda's cute and My cuddly. My kids love pandas. <laughs> 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 and so that's that's a whole thing that you're taking some joy out of the world mm. because you're simply saying like, hey, these guys should die because we're here now. That's we pick another what- cute, cuddly species to represent as the face of WWF. Um, and the red panda is great. I don't know. Don't is that them. extinct? Is that going extinct? No, I don't think so. No, but it's wonderful. I'm not getting on this trip. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, that was, I mean, no, that's, that's not, not the woodworks, huh? Yeah, that's not, or that's the bamboo not works. Work. That's not going to work. You and scar, which again, this makes sense. This backs up the fact that you don't like bacon. You don't it's like over, cheese eh. or pandas or pandas. I like, I like pandas. I just don't think they want to be here. And you're a fan of scar. Um, from Lion King. Yeah. You know what? I, you're painting a good picture. You're. If nothing, I'm consistent. Yeah. I'm just cons- here to offer a new perspective, ladies and gentlemen. To offer awful perspective. A different perspective. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he won't drive a car either. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I, I need, I get, I get by on my longboard. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks everybody for tuning in this week. Yeah. That will have, you know, lasting repercussions. I understand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Zach and I will have a conversation. <laughs> thanks to Donnie Gilbert for joining yes. us. Yes. Thank you, Donnie. Freightonomics out. <laughs> Pandas don't just, eat. Just. <laughs> oh, there you go. The sauna. The sauna that is this podcast. <laughs> I had a great time. Yeah, I had a great time. <laughs>